0: Welcome to this sermon podcast from Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I'll tell you the story that that happened, uh, I guess it was last night. Uh, we went to, uh, yeah, it was last evening, Our Brother Jim Dupree. Uh, we met him and his wife, Frances, up at that new little restaurant in Kerr and uh, the the lunchbox. And he invited a pastor that I had never met and his wife from uh, Harrisville. So we met the pastor and had a nice time and really got to know him. And I appreciate you arranging that, Brother Jim. I love meeting with pastors. And while we were in the restaurant, <clears throat> uh uh, two couples drove up on on Harley motorcycles but they were the trikes you know the three wheels and what really caught my attention was i mean how do i say it they're old they were old <laughs> i mean i mean old but they had they had on the leather and the, the guys had on the bandanas and whatever and they went and they sat down at the table and, you know, I kept thinking, I, I need to go speak to those folks. I, I just need to speak. So, And they, they were there the whole time. So we finished our meals, shook hands. And I told Sharon, I said, I, I want to go over and talk to these folks. And what I wanted to tell them was this. I said, I admire you guys. I said, I wish I had the guts to do what you do. And I mean that. I would love to ride a motorcycle. I don't have the guts to do it. But I get it. The idea of just being out there on the open road and what have you. And they were very nice and very pleasant, and the lady told me, she said, I just turned 72, and I've been riding for six months. And she said, do it! I said, no! (laughs) And we we had a pleasant conversation, and then uh, I uh, was talking to him, I said, you know, I said, I I pastor uh, in in Mayo, I said, we got a guy in our church, talking about Jim, I said, we got a guy in our church that rides, I said, in fact, I said, I just tell everybody this cuz i think it's just remarkable i said he's made 5 trips on a motorcycle some of you may not have known this he's made 5 trips on a motorcycle to alaska and back you know and lived to tell about it you know he lived to tell about it and i said that to those guys they said oh you mean timber's dad but their son is timber that's his name timber i said what <laughs> I said, how do you know? He, and, and one of them happened to have been, long story short, a teacher at my, a welding teacher. What was his name? Somebody might know him. Uh, Nathan Harris? Heron. Yeah, he taught. You, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, well, he taught their son, Timber. So it was just interesting, small, small world. But I, I enjoyed my. I didn't even think to go there. Uh, somebody beat me. All righty. All right, we're in Colossians chapter 2. And the topic tonight is an important one to all of us. Soul prosperity. The prosperity of our souls. Our, by soul, I mean our spiritual life. We would benefit from understanding the riches that are available to us, in our soul, in our spiritual life. Remember, the apostle Paul had never been to Colossae, but the pastor of Colossae found Paul in Rome and went to him because there were problems back home. You see, Satan fights churches. He'll stir up trouble on the inside, get people disgruntled, get people mad, you know, have misunderstandings, whatever he can do. So this preacher did the right thing. He went and found Paul. So Paul writes the church a letter, And so this preacher brings it back to read to the church, and it's been preserved to this very day. We believe it was written under the divine inspiration of God. And in a letter, Paul, in all of his letters, he he does different things. Sometimes he teaches theology, sometimes it's very personal, sometimes it's very practical. Well, as we begin chapter 2, he is expressing his love for them and what he desires for them. And so let's read about that. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and focus on that tonight. In Colossians chapter 2, verse number 1, under the circumstances I just listed, Paul says this. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. By that, he he, he hasn't met them, he doesn't know them, but there's brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's an automatic bond there. And he is talking about the passion that he has for them and for them at Laodicea, another church that he hadn't visited. He says, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, he's telling them, I have a passion for you. I have a burden for you. You know, I have a conflict. I, he may be saying, I, I wish I were there, but I can't be there. Okay? But these are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are, these are family. And then he tells them what he wants for them. That their hearts might be comforted. Being knit together in love. Now, every phrase is substantial. Because, yes, Paul is writing it. But again, I emphasize, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Or the leading of the Holy Spirit. These are God's words. From Paul, or through Paul, to these people. This is what... Paul wanted for them. But more than that, this is what God wants for them. He's telling Paul what to write. So this is important because this isn't limited to them. If Paul were writing a letter to us, he could have very easily have written the same thing. So what he wanted for them, he would want for us. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now remember, these are people. And there's some problems going on in this church. And there's some conflict. And there's little huddles going on and talking and gossiping. And people on the, well, maybe not on the phone, but people, you know, talking and what have you. And at the same time, they've got their routine problems. These are people. No doubt some husbands and wives were struggling. No doubt there were people with health issues. No doubt there were people that had some, you know, knuckleheaded kids that weren't living right and doing right. Not to mention the problems at work and trying to make a living and, you know, planting gardens and raising sheep and what have you. And in the midst of all that, again, he says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And again, (coughs) let me emphasize, what God wanted for them, he wants for you. Whatever you're going through, this is what he wants for you because this is what's important. This is what's really important. We might have our priorities mixed up. We might think that what I need now more than anything is better health. Well, better health would be good. But is that the most important thing you really need? When you consider the big picture, when you consider eternity, when you consider that you're here because of God, more money might be helpful, but is that really the biggest thing they need? Is that the most important thing they need or that you and I need? Then he goes on to say in verse number three, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you. Here's a warning thrown in here. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, because there were people going around saying things they shouldn't. And then he says, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, (coughs) joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As I was preparing to present this for you, I read what Matthew Henry had to say about those verses. I'm very interested in knowing what theologians and Bible scholars think of these passages. And he said the following, and it struck me, and I put it down so you can read what I read. Matthew Henry said of those verses that we just read, this is his take on it. It was their spiritual welfare about which he was solicitous or wanted to happen, or was involved with. Listen to this. This is Henry's take. He does not say that they may be healthy, and merry, and rich, and great, and prosperous, but that their hearts may be comforted. Now, we need to pause right there and go, hmm. Hmm, do I have the right focus? That's God's focus for me. Is that my focus for me? Or am I too much down in the weeds? And health is important. money's important. All of that. We're not saying it's not important. But is it the most important thing? Not when you read the scripture. And if we're not getting it right, that's not going to be to our benefit. So Matthew Henry goes on to say, Note. The prosperity of the soul, that's where my title comes from, or soul prosperity. The prosperity of the soul is the best prosperity. Given a choice, we should desire soul prosperity over any other benefit that we might know on this earth. And what we should be most solicitous about for ourselves and others. We have here a description... Of soul prosperity. Soul prosperity is true prosperity. So, when it comes to your soul, when it comes to your spirit, when it comes to your spirituality, do you have a personal sense of wealth? Or do you feel like a pauper, a beggar? You should feel a sense of richness. If you're doing it right. And and a richness that is. That supersedes everything else. This is more specifically talked about. In 3 John. uh, Verse number 2. When John says beloved. I wish above all things. That thou mayest prosper and be in health. Even as thy soul prospereth. We get so busy in life. Maybe we don't think about that. You know. So God's so good to give us his word and to have me teach through Colossians and you come here on a Wednesday night and out of the busyness and the hectic schedules that we all have, we stop and say, wait a minute. When it comes to my soul, my, my, my spirituality, if you will, do I feel like a prince or do I feel like a pauper? Now, just let's, let's just think about that for a second. Analyze yourself. Not your wife, not your husband, not... Do you have a prosperous soul, a healthy soul? Good news. Good news is any believer can attain it. I mean, think about this. This this is the good news here. It isn't dependent on material possessions to have a prosperous soul. You can be financially rich. You can be financially poor and still have a prosperous soul. It isn't dependent on educational attainment. You might have a PhD. You might not have graduated high school. But you can still have a prosperous soul. That's what I love about this. Anybody that wants it can have it. I mean, the thing that should be most important to you is attainable by you. It isn't dependent on your personality. Some people are very outgoing and have lots of friends. Some of us are more introspective and maybe not as many friends. But that doesn't matter when it comes to the prosperity of your soul. And the prosperity of your soul is key to everything else. It isn't dependent on your power and influence. There may be people in this room that have influence in the community. People look up to you. And there may be some in this room who nobody in the community, outside of a few folks, even know that you exist. The good news is that's immaterial to soul prosperity and you being rich in your soul. So anybody can attain soul prosperity, but what does it look like? What are we talking about? It's important. You need to leave tonight desiring to be a prince and not a pauper when it comes to the prosperity of your soul because if if your soul is prospering it doesn't matter what life throws at you and if your soul isn't prospering you better watch out what's coming your way but if your soul is prospering whether good times come bad times come disappointments blessings whatever your rock is a prosperous soul so what does soul prosperity look like well Paul is describing it in, in um, beginning in chapter uh, 2, verse number 2. Soul prosperity, number one, gives you comfort in your heart. That's what he wanted for them, that their hearts might be comforted. That's priceless. There's nothing much more tormenting than a tormented heart, a, tor- a heart tormented by bitterness or anger, or fear. A soul that is rich is a heart that is comforted, regardless of the circumstances. You may be going through a tough time. You may be going through a good time. But the value of soul prosperity is the fact that your soul is prosperous when your heart is comforted. Who wouldn't want that? It's no, it's no fun living in fear. It's no fun living in bitterness or anger, anxiety, depression. No. Prosperity of soul means you have a comforted heart. Number two, soul prosperity gives you friends that really matter. One of the great blessings of a, of a, of a soul that, that's overflowing is your connection with other souls that are overflowing. There's just a, a supernatural kinship there, a supernatural bond there. Soul prosperity gives you friends that really matter. After he says that their hearts might be comforted, his desire for them is being knit together in love. I can't think of too many more things in life more valuable than to have somebody love you. Just to know that there's somebody that loves you. Hopefully your wife, your husband, your children, your your family, you know, folks in church love you. A rich soul means that you have friends that that really matter. I mean, a real kinship there brought together by, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, a person that has that, that have friends that really matter, that has a heart that's comforted. We're describing a prosperous soul. Number three, after he says that their hearts might be comforted, after he says being knit together in love, he says, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. So number three is soul prosperity gives you a confidence in your faith. You you know that your faith is real. Whether times are good or times are bad, whether... uh, God answers in the affirmative or the negative, or he says to wait. Your faith is strong. And each day, you're able to function. Each day, you're still reaching out to other people. In your personal life, from your vantage point at that time, things might be falling apart. But you're not falling apart because of your faith unto all riches, of the full assurance of understanding. Understanding, dealing with what you know to be true about God, talking about your faith. Soul prosperity gives you a confidence in your faith. And then, again, number four, in verse number two, he after he says, your hearts be comforted, knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding you have this assurance of your faith what you understand about your faith and then he says to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the father and of Christ so number four soul prosperity gives you an acceptance of the fact that God and Christ are real and it also gives you an understanding of their work when you come to know Jesus Christ you know there there are folks today that don't believe he was real There are some folks today that even deny that he ever existed, that he's a figment of of somebody's imagination. And then there are others who will accept the historical fact that he was real, but they don't believe that he was divine. What a huge blessing in this world if you have an acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. At one time it was a mystery before Jesus came. You know, in the law, they were sacrificing lambs and without blemish, and that was a picture of something that was to come, but they hadn't seen it yet. For us, it's coming gone. We can look at it in the rearview mirror as fact that actually happened 2,000 years ago. And a soul is blessed, a soul is, is prosperous when you have an acceptance of the fact of God in Christ and a real understanding of their work and what it's all about. That is a prosperous soul that's full and rich. And then lastly, in our passage tonight, verse number 5, soul prosperity gives you the key to unlock the wisdom and knowledge of God. Because in verse number 3, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You come to know those treasures through Jesus Christ. You come to know wisdom and knowledge. Soul prosperity gives you the key to unlock the wisdom and knowledge of God. In becoming a Christian, you know things now you used to not know. You don't do things that you used to do because you have a greater wisdom and a greater understanding now. There are people that now you know to be careful with because you have a wisdom and an understanding that you used to not know and you 'd hang around they were your buddies you know there 's places you don 't go things you don 't do, and there are things you places you do go and things you uh, do because of the wisdom and knowledge that you get from God, so according to Matthew Henry and I appreciated his take, and I want to share that with you. All of this, Matthew Henry says, he's talking about soul prosperity. Again, I like this quote. Surely the man is indeed the richest who bears within his bosom the treasure of a soul at peace with God and safe for all eternity. You know, I look at a guy like Tiger Woods. What, what, what a sad story. What, what a tragic story. A guy that had, according to human standards, everything. You know, yachts, houses in different countries and what have you. Probably any toy he wanted, he could, he could have. And yet there was a lack of, I mean, he was a pauper when it comes to his soul a pauper no doubt looking for answers chasing women chasing booze and who knows who knows what else a man by human standards extremely wealthy and yet by godly standards a pauper and not just him but so many thousands of other people that just are miserable and un- unhappy The great thing about soul prosperity is that it's available to everyone. You know, I think about Tiger Woods and what an amazing athlete, and he was out on his way to break all sorts of golf records, and I pulled for him. I I like to see records broken. I thought that'd be cool to to see him break it. And yet, you know, a busted-up family and a, a miserable. Life with all sorts of problems. But, but, but the good news is, you can experience soul prosperity. I've seen young families struggling to make ends meet, possess soul prosperity. Rich in a way the world doesn't know. They may be having to, you know, cook beans for supper a couple nights a week. But they're not destitute. They're not destitute. They are rich in their soul, and they will make it through those tough days. I've seen grandmas rocking on the front porch of a very modest house who possess soul prosperity. I've seen stooped over grandpas out in their garden late in the evening picking beans who possess something that, I don't know why I'm picking on Tiger Woods. He's not in my notes, but he came to mind. Richer than Tiger Woods. I've seen students in hostile school environments possess a soul of prosperity. I've seen hardworking moms possess a soul of prosperity. I've seen hardworking dads uh, possess it, and I've never seen anybody who wanted it or who desired it denied it. The the, the measure of a man's wealth. It's not in the house he lives in or in the car he drives. It's what's inside of him. And I've seen little grandmas and I've seen young couples far richer than the people like Tiger Woods or Elvis Presley or what have you. But this soul prosperity... Did you catch this? It comes with a warning. Okay? It comes with a warning. You can lose it. that's one of the things about the Bible, folks. We live in a dangerous world. Satan is the prince in the power of the air. In verse number four, Paul says this. After wanting these folks to have these enormous blessings. In verse number four, he says, And this I say, lest... This is in that same passage. We're down to verse number 4 now. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Beguile means to deceive. Enticing words means through smooth speech. He's saying, be careful. You can be led astray. And sadly, through the centuries, probably millions of Christians who were rich have been led astray. You can, what, what he's teaching us here is you can risk soul prosperity uh, by someone deceiving you with smooth speech. So the warning, the practical warning, the practical application of that verse is very simply this. And as a good pastor, I've got to ter- tell you this. Be careful who you listen to. You be very careful who you listen to. What's that verse say? And this I say, lest any man should beguile you, deceive you through enticing words. You must be careful. I must be careful. My wife must be careful who we listen to. I jotted down some people, it's your pastor, that you shouldn't listen to. You know. First of all, you shouldn't listen to Grace Goldsmith over here. Now, don't listen. <laughs> I'm picking. I'm picking. There's no names here. When I said that, I thought they're going to think I'm going to name people. No. Don't listen to immature Christians. Don't listen to gossips. Don't listen to bitter people. Don't listen to angry people. Don't listen to disgruntled individuals. You say, well, you know, pastor, are you saying that everybody ought to be on board and everybody ought to be on board? No, you you... There's a difference between, you know, a disgruntled person has just got a burr under their saddle. Somebody can have a real issue, but they have a broken spirit about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are some people are just aggravated. They're just angry. They're just mad because they didn't get their way. And then there could be somebody else who has a legitimate concern about something that's legitimate, but their whole spirit's different. That person you can listen to. But if it's somebody who's just aggravated and angry and got a burr under their saddle... You don't listen to those people. Now, if it's somebody that has a legitimate concern, and they're burdened, and and they want to handle it right, and they're prayerful, that's different. But you also shouldn't listen to anybody who's not doctrinally sound. You shouldn't listen to people who have no accountability. You know, when I was growing up, there wasn't one Christian radio station or Christian TV station, okay? And now there's lots of them, you know, and there are some good preachers, there, are, there, there, is some, uh, there is some good preaching out there, but a lot of it you got to be careful, you know, and I'd ask, like, who do these people, who's this TV guy, who's this radio, guy, who do they listen to, do they have deacons, do they have a church that's going to vote on them, or can they just spout anything, so don't listen to people who have no accountability, don't listen to people who frequently change churches, now, people can change churches, and for legitimate reasons. I mean, this is my third church as, as, as an adult. Central Baptist, Northwest, uh, in the Chicago suburbs, in here. So, yeah, there are times to change churches. But there are some people that church hop all the time. That's, that's, that's a red flag goes up there. Do not listen to people who have no credibility. You know, people who's going to tell you how to raise your kids, and their kids are not living for the Lord. Do not listen to people who lack humility and a teachable spirit. And again, I say that based on what Colossians chapter 2, verse number 4 says. Paul wants them to be rich in their spirit. He wants them to have soul prosperity. And then he says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So again, let's wrap this up. Everyone can have soul prosperity. Soul prosperity isn't dependent on pleasant or prosperous circumstances. Say, I'm going through rough times right now. All the more reason that you need prosperity of your soul, of your spirit. Soul prosperity isn't dependent on the condition of the world around us. All kind of crazy stuff's going on. All the more reason you can and should have soul prosperity. And number three, soul prosperity isn't dependent upon what others do to us or say about us. Everybody picks on me. No, I had a terrible childhood. Listen, Paul's not going to preach and teach something that you can't have. All those qualities, he's talking about comfort of your heart and what have you. He's not wishing that on people that can't attain that. So lastly. He ends up this passage in verse number 5 after giving that warning, after telling us what it is, giving us that warning. Then in verse number 5, I think this is the key to having it. He says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying over what? Beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul concludes by urging them two things. There needs to be in your life order and steadfastness. Again, if you'd let me refer to a theologian. I quote, I have it for you on the screen. Barclay comments that taxes and stereoma present a vivid picture for they are both military words. The word translated order is taxes, which means a rank or an ordered arrangement. The church should be like an ordered army with every man in his appointed place, ready and willing to obey the word of command. So Paul says, I joy, I'm encouraged. In other words, You're on your way to this soul prosperity when I behold your order and your steadfastness. The first word, order, is from the word taxes. It means ordered arrangement, being in your place. And then, Barclay says, the word translated steadfastness is stereoma, which means a solid bulwark, an immovable phalanx. It describes an army set out in an unbreakable square, solidly immovable against the shock of the enemy's charge. And then he says, within the church, there should be disciplined order and strong steadiness, like the order and steadiness of a trained and disciplined body of troops. So I would summarize that verse by saying, soul prosperity then requires two things. Number one, order. And we just read, this theologian says that that words mean to be in your place. And you're showing order tonight by being in your place. Why people don't come to church is just beyond me. Why it's a problem for some people, I I just don't get it. And I realize as people get older, sometimes they would like to attend more, but they can't. I certainly understand that some people have to work. And like I said, I, I'm glad that, that there's policemen on duty right now. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad there's nurses at the hospital. We're not talking about that. But there, there, there's there's no place on the face of the earth that can do what a good, fundamental Bible-preaching church can do for people. I mean... You're going to get here what you're not going to get anywhere else, and you're going, to get it, you're going to get it better than what you can get on TV. And there's some good TV preachers. There's some good radio preachers. But they're not going to look you in the eye. They're not going to know you. They're not going to be there for you. So for that, for your soul to prosper, you need to be in your place. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night. And then Paul says steadfastness. Be in your place and never be deterred. Don't let anything keep you away. Nothing. There's all sorts of things. Every one of you could have had a reason to stay home tonight, and I commend you, you didn't. But I don't think you could have done anything more valuable for yourself, for your family, for the cause of Christ, for our nation. This is why Satan will do everything in his power to get you out of your place. So you've got to be... You can never be deterred. And then we'll end with this quote. Share it with you. The time will come when the richest must abandon his wealth forever. The only thing you shall be able to keep is that which you have stored up in the soul itself. That alone will go out with the soul into eternity. You are a very, very, rich person tonight if you possess and understand and appreciate those five qualities that paul wished upon that congregation in colossi you may and i may go home to a modest house tonight certainly compared to some all of our houses are modest drive modest cars But you are rich beyond measure if you have the peace of God in your heart. And you have a biblical understanding of what's going on. And you have a heart of gratitude towards God. I think some of these ultra-rich people are going crazy. I was thinking about this the other day. Suppose I was a billionaire. And I had a house in Switzerland and a house in Fiji. Wherever Fiji is, and a house in Colorado, and and I had a yacht at Palm Beach in in Florida, you know, and, and I had a cabin up in Montana that had four wheelers and whatever. You know, there's people that have that kind of stuff and they're miserable. I mean, we see it all the time. All the time, they commit suicide, they overdose, they, they, they're miserable. They're miserable. TV stars, movie stars, you know, athletes and all the people that we think, man, you got all the toys in the world, just go play. You go home to a fried bologna sandwich tonight. <laughs> With peace in your heart, you're rich, aren't you? And knowing what you know and having what you have. We don't need the house in Switzerland. We don't need the cabin up in Montana. Now, if the Lord blesses some folks, and he does, with toys and stuff, fine. But that's not where your joy is. You know, that's not... Lord could take it all. Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Let us go home tonight... thinking about those five things that paul mentioned understanding we have them we need to appreciate them and yeah we got to pay bills and yeah maybe we wish and we're working for a better car that's more dependable but if if you have peace and comfort in your heart you are rich beyond words amen Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com Thanks for listening.